Ready to start talking to your kids about financial literacy? Meet Greenlight, the debit card and money app that teaches kids and teens how to earn, save, spend wisely, and invest with your guardrails in place. Parents can send instant money transfers, automate allowance, and more. Plus, keep an eye on spending with real-time notifications. Join more than 6 million families building healthy financial habits together on Greenlight. Get your first month free at greenlight.com slash odyssey. That's greenlight.com slash odyssey. This is a Vault Studios production. This podcast contains graphic details of a young girl's murder. Listener discretion is advised. Did you ever lose a friend growing up? Wonder what their life might look like today if they hadn't died? What they would look like? What they'd be doing for a living if they had children? For the community of Bay Village, Ohio, about 14 miles west of Cleveland, a lot of people are still asking those questions about a girl named Amy Mahalovic, who today should have been 40, should still be alive. She's forever 10. Her life was taken away from her. She had so much to give and so much life to live. She would be somebody. Amy would be somebody. 30 years ago, it was one of the most high-profile kidnappings and killings ever in Northeast Ohio. High-profile because it got a lot of national attention in a place where crime just didn't happen. A boogeyman, leaving casualties. A mother who never got over it, said to have died of a broken heart. And a lot of that is the stress from what she went through. A witness who beats himself up over not memorizing the license plate of the car that whisked Amy away. A brother who wishes he stayed with his sister after school. I had no idea what was going on. A police department that warned Amy's fifth grade class on the day she disappeared about strangers should have made her think twice, but ultimately failed to stop Amy from leaving with a stranger after school. So ironically enough, I actually saw her that day um, in the classroom. A community that to this day conjures her name in a warning. Be careful of adults. Don't end up like Amy Mahalovic. A fate no one would wish on their worst enemy. Because when she was found, months after her disappearance, she'd been stabbed twice in the neck, beaten over the head with a blunt object, and sexually assaulted. Left by the side of a rural road while her killer got away. A 10-year-old girl who loved horses and wore a cross around her neck in one of the most published missing children's posters of all time, who would never come home and never grow up while causing an all-out frenzy, first in her mother, Margaret. It's the, the constant pain. It's the constant torment. No wondering what she's going through, where she is, and why. And keep asking why. Next in her community. Nobody needs to go through what we've been through. Then her friends. I have a really, really hard time a really hard time. A frenzy, which hasn't ended. Everyone knows, everyone knows she's in peril and then realizes, of course, those who know us, that we are as well. You're listening to Amy Should Be 40, a five-part series on one of the most haunting and heartbreaking missing children's stories of our time. In the coming episodes, we'll visit the suspects who were looked at, some who even confessed, talk to Amy's childhood friends, who might have been at her wedding, perhaps a playgroup today, and her family, who along with investigators, never gave up on finding her killer. And speaking of that killer, who could be holding on to that kind of a secret for so long? 
And what about DNA, which has been the solution to so many cases lately? There is some, only testing it presents a major dilemma. We'll get into that later. But first, let's take a trip back in time to 1989, the year that many of us first heard the name Amy Mahalovic. I, George Herbert Walker Bush, do solemnly swear that I will faithfully execute the office of President of the United States. Traveling with me is James Renner, an author, investigative journalist, producer, and director who once worked as a reporter for Cleveland Scene, an edgy free newspaper known for strong journalism and tips on what's cool. We're both Westsiders, which means we grew up west of downtown Cleveland, where Bay is. And in Cleveland, there is an identity when it comes to which side of town you're from. In 1989, it meant you were probably white and your parents were middle class. Amy's dad, Mark, was a car salesman, while her mother, Margaret, sold ads for cars, working for a paper called the Trading Times, which carried all kinds of classifieds. Back then, I would have been 13. James Renner would have been 11. And Amy just a year younger than James. What do you remember about 1989? Um, I remember that, uh, well, for Christmas that year is when I got the uh, Nintendo. Uh, I remember that. You know, what I liked to do more than anything was just go down to the mall, Westgate Mall, and uh, go to Aladdin's Castle, the arcade there, and play clacks. The original cookie was right around the corner there. Mm-hmm. So I'd ride my Huffy two-speed bike over to the mall and just, you know, that's where I was most weekends kids seemed to have a lot more freedom. While the world was changing fast, the AIDS crisis, rallies in Tiananmen Square, the Berlin Wall came down. Then, that same fall, James would be going back to Westgate Mall, pedaling that same bike, but not to play games. You know, I, I, I thought when I saw that picture, I'm like, well, if she was in my class back home, you know, she'd be the girl I'd be writing notes to. Do you like me? I like you. Yes, no, maybe. Uh, <laughs> so what happened to her? And then I, 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 I learned about her abduction. And uh, for whatever reason, there was a lot of weird stuff going on in, in, in my life at the time. But I became obsessed with trying to solve this case uh, in 89 at age 11. And I would get on my bike and I would ride it to Westgate Mall. And I would sit near Aladdin's castle, and I'd watch people come and go. And I'd look for the guy that looked like the composite sketch of her killer. And uh, if I saw somebody that looked close enough, I'd follow him out to his car and get his license plate and then come in and use the payphone to call in the tip. (laughs) How many tips do you think you called in? Oh, uh, half a dozen maybe. Um, but at the time, the only number I knew by heart was 876-5353, which of course is the toll-free number to Unsolved Mysteries. So it wasn't going to police. It was going to Robert Stack. And somewhere they have you know, uh, an 11-year-old James Renner calling in these tips and it probably went nowhere. Hmm. Um, but yeah, I, uh, I, wanted to, I wanted to solve the case. Do you ever remember seeing her face on a milk carton that was so common back then? Yeah, I've been... Trying to think about this, I, not only do I not remember seeing her picture on a milk carton, I don't remember seeing anybody's face on a milk carton. I don't remember having like I don't know where you go to buy milk uh, with with missing pictures, you know, missing kids' pictures. But I guess it was prevalent back then. It's just something. If it if it happened, it's not something I paid attention to. A lot was different then. No internet. No way to get a push alert or even an Amber Alert. And on October twenty seventh, nineteen eighty nine. No way to track Amy. That Friday, she was at school where an officer named Mark Spetzel spoke about stranger danger. He'd later go on to become a detective on the case. 
At that time, he had no idea that Amy had already been contacted by a stranger just days before and that she planned to meet him. A man who called her home and seemed to know her family told her that her mom had recently gotten a job promotion and asked to meet in a public place to pick out a present, suggesting a shopping center just a block from Amy's school. Amy agreed to meet him, even told a few friends, but did not tell her family, likely believing she was protecting a surprise. From a man who called her by name outside an ice cream shop, described as white, between 35 and 45 years old, about 5 foot 8, medium build, dark hair, and glasses. So he told Amy to meet him right there at the ice cream store. So he walked down there and picked up Amy. That's Rick Burns. He's a mechanic who worked at the shopping plaza where Amy was abducted. His shop is behind it. And let me help you picture this. There are three strips of stores surrounding a parking lot in the middle. Rick's auto shop is behind one of those strips, just on the other side of a small alley that empties onto the road. The alley where the abductor parked his car, in a spot that Rick sometimes used himself. It was a, a brownish gold GM and it was parked right here. Do you think you got a good look at his face? Yes. I would be able to recognize him. Burns said he assumed it was a father picking up his daughter and now wishes he had only remembered the plate. He says it's a habit now, memorizing plates and the event he could one day provide helpful information. But he was still helpful in 1989 with a description that was soon key to the suspect composite that's still frankly sort of vague. Because think of this. The abductor never gave reason for anyone to pay closer attention at the time. A father picking up his daughter. How close would you look? It only made the case harder for investigators. What went on uh, was a ploy that was developed and carried through, and it looked like a natural uh, action going on. It didn't look out of the ordinary at all. It looked something like this. Amy got out of Bay Middle School around 2. By 2.45, she is outside a Baskin-Robbins, and soon after that, in a strange man's car. And here's where it gets really weird. In the Mahalovic household, the kids were required to call their mom at work after school, tell her they're okay. Amy's brother Jason calls from home around 3.10 and tells her that his sister isn't home. Then Amy calls around 3.30, 20 minutes later with her kidnapper, to tell her mom that everything is fine. Is he within earshot? Did he tell her to call? Margaret Mahalovic assumes she's home with her brother, but she isn't. And when Margaret comes home from work, she learns she never was. She then did what any worried parent would do, calling friends and neighbors, retracing Amy's route back to school where the girl's bike was still on a rack. And then just before six, she goes to police to report her daughter missing. It's on the 11 o'clock news. Amy, a fifth grader at Bay Middle School, disappeared from this shopping plaza in Bay Village. She was seen talking to this man. Two children told police Amy had been contacted by a man posing as a friend, wanting her help in buying a gift for her mother. That night, the mother curls up beneath the phone mounted on her wall, waiting. The next day, waking up to the first day of the rest of her life without Amy. The FBI gets involved. We also have reason to believe that Amy left with that individual from that location and went to another area where they may have gone shopping, and that would be a mall or a shopping center, 
somewhere in the area. The place she placed that phone call remains a mystery. A payphone, likely, but where? As we'll get into later, records didn't exist. And the trail goes cold, while Amy's story goes national. Neighbors tell us they never thought anything like this could happen in Bay Village. Since Amy disappeared, these streets normally filled with children playing have been strangely quiet. Parents freaked. After all, Family Circle magazine had ranked Bay Village as the country's sixth safest city. I have one son. How old is he? Eight. Are you scared for him? Very. What are you doing different? Sharing this with him. And being, rather than not talking about it, we are being extremely open about it. Did you know that parents rank financial literacy as the number one most difficult life skill to teach? Meet Greenlight, the debit card and money app for families. With Greenlight, you send instant money transfers, set up chores, automate allowance, and keep an eye on your kids' spending with real-time notifications. Kids learn to earn, save, spend wisely, and invest. And parents can rest easy knowing their kids are learning about money with guardrails in place. Get your first month free at greenlight.com slash odyssey. With no message more desperate than the one from Amy's mother. Just find her. Tell her to come home. Whatever is wrong. Whatever is wrong. Just have her come home. Community soon canceled trick-or-treating. By Thanksgiving, there were 800,000 posters of Amy's face, which people took with them and posted in faraway places where they traveled. Countless volunteers. On her birthday, December 11th, her classmates planted a tree by their school as both a present and a wish for a safe return. At seven that night, every church bell in Bay Village rang in unison. While back at Amy's home, there was a candle by her picture and one in the window. And another message from her mother, wearier than the last. She looked tired on TV. Oh, happy birthday. We miss you. Come home. It's very difficult to have a birthday party without the birthday girl. Earlier that day, they announced a reward for information that led to her return. I ask, as Amy's mother, on this, her 11th birthday, to give us the gift of that information. Amy's father, Mark, he was the rock. There's part of your life out there that we need to get back, back home. Christmas came next, then a new year. Nothing. Until February 8th, when a jogger finds a body along Route 1181, a rural road in Ashland County, Ruggles Township, 50 miles from where Amy was abducted, not too far from the road. Uncovered and in plain sight of numerous people driving by. How could anyone have missed it? There was no shortage of theories. I don't think it was here. I think it was dumped here after the last week or so. Hunters claim they had just been there. So you were out here within we could the last, go last Wednesday? Yeah, we could go last the Wednesday. The 31st, January 31st. The last day of hunting season. And you didn't we're see here. anything? We didn't yeah. see nothing, no. The gruesome details came next. Amy had suffered what so many had feared. The Cuyahoga County Coroner's Office examined the body. That body has been positively identified as that of Amy Mahalovic. The further examination of the body revealed stab wounds to the left side of the neck. Later that year, on October 27, 1990, the first anniversary of her disappearance, Margaret Mahalovic speaks again at a service for her daughter. She sounds far more composed, strong even, 
She's had time to think about what she'd say, but still. Standing beside a marble monument to Amy in a park at the center of Bay Village that looked like a headstone. I thank one and all for your support, your love, and your concern, without which I would not have been able to make it through this past year. Let's fill the void that her passing has left with positive thoughts, with a smile on our face, and say she blessed our life for a while. Unfortunately, she is gone, but now we must live on. But in the shadow of Amy's death, living wasn't easy. After all, her killer was still on the loose. If he could get the Mahalovic's daughter, how could he not get someone else's? As parents spoke to their kids, writer James Renner had a disturbing conversation with his dad, who ran a construction business. And he had fired this guy who wasn't, like, all right in the head. And uh, he was threatening my father. And sometimes my father would come out of working, and uh, he'd go to his truck, and there'd be a, a little note under his windshield wipers. And it would say, he'd pick it up, and it, and it just said, I'm coming after your kids, meaning me or my little sister, uh, Jolene. And so my dad had all this in his head, and he's hearing the reports of them finding Amy's body, and he knows how obsessed I've become with this case. So he comes home early that day and turns off the TV, and he sits me down, and he says, do you know what to do if you're ever abducted like Amy Mihalovic? And I said, well, yeah, I've been watching the news for three months, of course. I I make a lot of noise. I I kick the guy in the nuts, right? And he kind of laughed. He's like, well, yeah, but what if that doesn't work and he gets you back to his place? And I'm like, geez, Dad, I'm 11. I don't know. (laughs) And he's like, well, I've been thinking about this. And if what happened to Amy Mihalovic uh, happens to you and, and you find yourself back in this guy's place and you're handcuffed to a couch or something, here's what I want you to do. He said, look around. He's like, pull out bits of the carpet, right? Um, take off bits of the couch. Uh, get knickknacks from, from the table. Anything you can get your hands on and swallow it. Swallow it down. Why? That way, if, if what happens to Amy happens to you, we can do an autopsy and we'll find that evidence and then I'll know who I should kill. So he had justice in mind, right? That's, that's, you know, after hearing something like that, uh, you know, it, 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 it cemented the Amy Mihalovic case in my mind forever. As girls at the time came forward to say a strange man also called them wanting to meet, where did he get their phone numbers? What did they have in common? Why them? Could they have suffered the same fate? Police backed it up. You have had some of those? Yes, we have. How many? I'm aware of at least three, perhaps more. There would be 20 and even more suspects, with investigators conducting roughly 20,000 interviews, using truth serum at times, other times hypnosis, to catch a killer who didn't just take a life, but also took trophies. Next time on Amy Should Be 40. I've been told that this this man was the top suspect in the case for the first 11 weeks, that they were laser-focused on this guy. Um, he, and for valid reasons at first. You're going to look for the type of wounds to try to determine what, uh, what type of instrument may have uh, caused the death. Amy Should Be 40 is a five-part podcast in collaboration between Three News in Cleveland and Vault Studios. 
I'm Andrew Horansky, senior reporter at 3, working with Phil Trexler and James Renner, pulling double duty as our fact checker. Our executive producer is Will Johnson. Our digital director is Denise Polverine. Special thanks to video archivist Matt Hine, Susan Moses, Adam Ostro, and our parent company, Tegna. From all of us, thank you for listening. And if you like what you hear, don't forget to give us a good review. See you next time.